0: And my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honored to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Agape Garcia survived a double attempted homicide while her mother was eight months pregnant with her, by her father, and then went on to survive domestic violence in her own relationship. Her desperation to survive became the catalyst for the foundation of BYIS, Be Your Incredible Self, where she empowers others to thrive beyond similar circumstances and trauma. The bravery and determination in Agape's story will have you on the edge of your seat and fired up to make the change we need to see when it comes to domestic and family violence. Welcome, Agape, to The Ethical Evolution.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honour to be here.
0: Now, uh, we've been trying to connect for a little while and thankfully we've we've made it. Um, but um, for those who don't know who you are, uh, can you please tell us who you are and what you do? Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> who I am? Agape Garcia is my
1: name. Born and raised in Chicago, and uh, what I do is I help, I help, I help women, and I also help corporations that um, people who are in corporations that have roles in leadership that are responsible for the health and well-being, including the safety of their employees.
0: Great. Now you've had a, a bit of a. Oh, a tricky life. Um to, to put it simply. Um but you've been through some incredible trauma. You've survived an attempted double homicide. Um and and we are talking uh domestic and family violence here. Um do you want to tell us what happened there? Oh, wow. Sure.
1: Okay. So <clears> that's <throat> it's actually To put it short, um, I would have to say that I believe there was gestational trauma that occurred while I was, um, you know, in my mother's stomach. Um, She was in a abusive relationship. And, you know, unfortunately, being, you know, the unborn child, you're a direct recipient of that. And, you know, she left she left that environment when I was two and she left me in that environment when she left. Oh, wow. So it has been something that um, always felt as if violence was normal. That was not only what happened, you know, in my home, but it was also the neighborhood that I grew up in. Violence was outside the door all the time.
0: Mm. And for some of us, you know, I we don't have that as part of our lives but for someone who that is the everyday i mean how do you break through that and and find a new life um without violence
1: well and so that's where this is becomes a little bit of a roller coaster ride because you know when you don't know anything other than what you see smell and hear it's hard to know that it's not right mm. So, you know, even in my high school years, you know, I had to go through metal detectors just to get into class. So it was that violent, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it actually was not until I was pregnant in my teenage years that I decided to break those environments and those vicious cycles. Um, and when I I left the abusive relationship, which was, you know, again, a teen you know teen dating situation and when i left i i took my baby with me i did not repeat the same patterns mm-hmm. that my parents you know repeat you know did and I had decided that I would just, every year, even though I dropped out of high school, once I had my, my baby, I went back for my GED. I pursued my, my college degree. I continued for you know, an undergraduate degree and I, I never gave up because I knew I needed to provide. And in order to provide, that's the only way to get out of that violent type of environment where we lived. So in doing that, um, you know, we moved almost every year because every year we were doing better. So every time the lease was up, we got a little bit further out. We Mm -hmm. just gradually did that, you know, up until we finally got out. And, um, at that time when we, when we did my, my child was already seven or eight, um, And, you know, I had said that I would not have that type of environment in her life So I was very particular in who, you know, I allowed in, who I was friends with, who I, you know, chose to date and all that And, you know, when I was 27 I was offered to move across the country because there was an opportunity for my partner at the time And, um, of course, you know, I I took him up on that and, uh While I had voluntarily left my job, voluntarily left the university, you know, transferred my child out of school into another one across the states. Um, Three weeks after our arrival was when our items arrived. And while I was unpacking and getting, you know, our lives (laughs) kind of back together, um, I came across the remnants of another woman. Oh, really? And... Yeah. And my eyeballs popped out of my head. My heart was pounding through my chest and I'm trying to think back, you know, did he say he had friends, family? Was there co-workers? Like, why would there be something under the bathroom sink all the way to the back? You know, um, I'm eight months pregnant at the time and I waited for, you know, the evening to come because I knew that I couldn't talk in the in the taunting, distraughtful you know, thought process Mm. that I was in. So I chose to kind of go about the day as normal while I was tormented with thoughts. And I, you know, picked up my daughter from school, made dinner, did her homework, you know, what, what you supposed to do. So about 10 30 at night, you know, I said, and she's sleeping. And I said, you know, I want to talk to you about some things that I found underneath the sink when I was putting my stuff away and I don't understand. And he said, Oh, you were going through my stuff. And I said, no, when I was putting my stuff away, I came across the remnants of another woman and I'm trying to ask or find out what is this all about? And before I could even finish, I was already on the floor. He was sitting on my eight month pregnant stomach with his left hand around my neck and his right hand closed fist punching me over and over and over. I don't recall much of what I was saying or doing while I was squirming on the bottom of him what I do remember is the sound of my daughter's voice at the top of the stairs. It was, you know, mom, mom, the most frightened little girl voice I've never heard in my life. And the moment that that voice registered in my brain and my surroundings became extremely apparent at that time, I had this hot gush of adrenaline flow through my body like i've never felt in my life and my feet slammed on the floor and my hips thrusted to the ceiling my neck used as the kickstand to get him off of me which was successful i have no idea how i popped up to my feet i just knew i ran around the couch and my daughter was already at the bottom of the stairs i grabbed her hand and we ran out of the house just like that oh okay my god So it's like 11 o'clock ish and we're, you know, barefoot in our pajamas. I'm eight months pregnant, bawling my eyes out with, you know, my daughter's little hand in mine and I'm pounding on the door that had the light on and I'm just begging to use their phone. I was very fortunate to have, you know, be allowed in to do that. Thank goodness they had kids. I, you know, realized I woke up the whole house. And, you know, I just asked for the kids to go somewhere else to play while I, you know, called the police. And I just didn't want to be seen in that, you know, um, and I just didn't want to be seen that way. I didn't want to scare the kids, you know. And so I, I remember calling the police. I remember just bawling and bawling, not having a clue how to make sense of anything that had happened. I had just left everything. I voluntarily, there's nowhere that you know, I was going to be able to go. I had no family. I had no friends. I was just barely learning the foreign, you know, surroundings around me. And anyways, the police showed up and I didn't have any marks on my face because he was punching me in my head. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it, you know, it was enough though, that when they moved my ear, the markings were so apparent already through my skin and my my skull and everything. So it was enough for them to take him away. Um, unfamiliar with where I was and the laws because I'm somewhere completely different. I had no idea what to expect. I thought maybe he'd be coming home that same very night. I um, had no choice. Like I said, I didn't have anywhere to go except for back. And, uh, you know, I put my daughter to sleep and said, if you hear me say go, go, go. That means open your window, jump on the porch, get down, run around to the same house, you know. Um, I had to make it seem like it wasn't a life-threatening situation, you know. Um, She was eight at the time and I just, my main focus was protecting her from all of this to the best of my ability. And she slept that night. I did not. I bawled my eyes out. I just had no idea what 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 was going on. I couldn't make any sort of direction of my life. I didn't even think that I was going to be able to have the baby. I didn't know if my baby was going to, you know, was even okay. I had no support. So I figured, you know, I'll take my daughter to school in the morning. I'll go to ER. I'll check to make sure my baby's okay. I need to find out how do I keep in touch with the police? How do I know when this guy's going to be released? How do I take my name off of the off of the uh, lease for the um, apartment? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Oh my gosh. It was everything. Mm. (laughs) It was like overnight I had become a whole different woman, a whole different mother, a whole different person in the world. And um, when I I checked myself into the emergency room and shared everything that happened, you know, the doctors told me I couldn't go anywhere. I was high risk, even though my baby seemed to be okay. I was high risk Mm. and I needed to stay. In the state, I couldn't leave. Not by plane, train, car, nothing. And that was when survival and desperation kicked in at the same time because I couldn't believe that I was literally stuck. I've never been stuck, stuck Mm. in my life. Mm. So to be (laughs) deemed high risk with nowhere to go, that was... I knew I had to figure it out. I had no other solution So, um, I was told that, you know, in the state that I was in at that time that he would be held until the court date, I did go to court. I did decide to testify. I felt very, um, strong in my testimony. I was ready to share the story and then they brought him in.
0: Mm. And
1: the second we locked eyes, I'll say that I shrunk like a punk all of a sudden, my voice that was, I'm going to say what happened because there's a zero tolerance. I just, meow, 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 meow. Mm. And I felt like I had all my power taken away, my voice taken away, my my courage taken away. I, I couldn't, there was, I had no idea what happened. And apparently this is not something that, is not known. This happens quite often um, to people who were victimized by someone who was, you know, violent or that did some sort of, um, you know, detrimental things to them. And the attorney and the judge saw through it, and he was still convicted. So um, I knew that that gave me time to figure out what I was going to do now, because I still had to have my baby. I still had to make sure that. I was going to be okay because it was a planned C-section that I was having. I convinced the doctors to plan the C-section 10 days before my baby was actually due. Um, You know, I just kept, uh, my main concern was I have to have this baby. I have to get a job. Otherwise we're going to be homeless. We're going to be on the street. We're going to be living out of the car. How am I going to take care of my baby? It was nonstop worry, 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 worry. And, um, you know, I, I ended up Putting everything back in storage before my baby was born. Whatever I couldn't carry was left behind or sold. Um, I ended up getting renting a room just for the, all three of us. I stood in that. I stood in so many long lines mm-hmm. to seek shelter, to seek you know assistance, food stamps, um, you know living expenses, anything that is offered to people in 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 my circumstances, uncontrollable circumstances and i'm here to tell you that there is not a lot of real time help you have to wait mm. not you have to wait in line you have to wait to apply you have to wait to see if you qualify you have to wait until they call you back they have to you know you have to wait it's not right away and you know i dealt with the power going out when i had a, a fridge full of food the last of the food that was there You know, I ended up running to the gas station, getting a bag of ice and finding, you know, some, some coolers and not, not coolers, excuse me, like those Rubbermaid bins Mm. that you would keep clothes and stuff in. And I was putting, you know, the ice in there and food in there just to, you know, and it was the weekend. So I was like, oh my gosh, whatever Mm. could go wrong, went wrong, you know? And, um, I can say that, you know, it's 20 years later, that was 20 years ago. And, you know trauma hits us all differently. Trauma affects us all differently. Everybody is so familiar with, you know, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, how it affects us, where it impacts us, the implication that it puts on us in our day-to-day lives. And not a lot of people are familiar with PTG, Mm -hmm. which is post-traumatic growth. And, you know, post-traumatic growth is where is is where you have a positive psychological change that can occur after experience any sort of you know life crisis or traumatic event it's a form it's a form of personal growth in which anyone anyone not only copes with their trauma but emerges from it stronger and wiser and what they do what they decide to do with that and you know i unfortunately lost all direction when this happened, because my laser focus was on providing and protecting. I no longer, you know, pursued my dreams, my careers, my paths. It was, okay, what job is going to pay the bills? How much do I need to make an hour in order to pay rent, pay the car, pay the insurance, put food on the table and, you know, survive. And I did that all my life because I had no other choice. There was no child support. There was no other assistance available Uh, You know, the only thing that I qualified for after, you know, I got back to work was, you know, help with daycare. Mm. And so it was really check to check all the time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I became a little more intentional when the opportunities presented themselves. So you know, I I can, I can share a couple of things, uh, because I did say that not only do I help people that have gone through trauma or domestic violence, but I I also talk to people in leadership at corporations Mm. and, you know, workplace violence, it's a real thing, but when you do your research and look into it, there's a lot of workplace violence. That's actually domestic violence spill over Mm. And just today, I received notification that Australia now implemented a domestic violence paid leave act. Yes. I am so ecstatic for you guys. Mm. It's so awesome yeah. because it's a real thing. And I'm so happy that it's finally coming out to light, um, that this is, this is a, a true pandemic inside the already pandemic. Mm. You know, since COVID, this has gone, domestic violence has gone up immensely and resources have gone down because resources are going to COVID-19, everything. So to see that you guys are being proactive and that you guys are actually seeing the need and filling the gaps, this is my passion for my nonprofit in the United States. I want to influence legislation to mandate the same thing for our employers to provide that leave, to provide that paid leave. Because if you have to go somewhere, if you have to move for safety and start over, why would you have to give up All of your, not vacation, PTO, vacation, um, sick leave, like everything that you earned to have an actual vacation, these are like uncontrollable circumstances. It's almost like a car accident. You don't plan for it. It happens. That's why there's short-term disability that's offered, long-term disability that's offered, supplemental income that's offered. But when you're a victim of a crime, now, finally, in 2022,
0: now we have it? Like, what? Yeah, it's it's you know? insane, isn't it that we've that we've even got to go there? Like you yes. know, at, through through the pandemic, um, I also work full time for the state government um, for their housing department, and um, you know there was um, legislation put in during COVID that was part of the COVID legislation for housing and renting that actually was specifically just about domestic and family violence. Um, And it's so sad that we have to do that. And we're making more changes at the moment to legislation for renting around domestic and family violence so that people are protected, so that they can get away and that they can have a roof over their head. I mean, it's just so sad. We have to make these measures to help people.
1: It is. And and going back to what I was saying earlier, and it's not like you can give it to them overnight. There's a process. They have to wait, you know and i wish i wish that there were things like this in place for for so so long and so many reasons but as long as we're doing it now and we're and we're creating a path for for the future you know at the same time i also look at programs to stop the cycle mm. you know i want to bring awareness to high schools to college students like narcissism is not a thing that's taught in school how do you identify it what are the signs what are the things that you're feeling that you know are not right, but you're making exceptions? You know, I mean, there's such a long list. And um, and I'm here to tell you that, you know, like I shared before, domestic violence has been a part of my entire life. Mm. Unfortunately, even mm. when I did extreme measures to get away from it, it still was yeah. a part of me. And um, and. Again, out of my control, because the only one thing you have most control over in your entire life really truly is just you, Mm. right? And when I talk to corporations, you know, I ask, what kind of policies do you currently have? Because for us in the States, OSHA um, mandates a workplace violence policy, and I want to change legislation to mandate a program. What good is a policy if you don't have a program, Mm. right? And that program should entail resources. So I asked, you know, I ask leadership, what's your communication? What do the employees know on what to report or how to report? What happens when you are getting information from your managers about, you know, people's natural behaviors? Like they're showing up early, they're mm-hmm. eager to work, they're staying really late they're actually even maybe sleeping in the parking lot and just never going home and just relying on you know this establishment because work is an escape when home is a hostile environment
0: mm. yeah
1: and i'm here to say that that's exactly what it was for me it's exactly what it was for a lot of people that i have came across in life we utilize school and work as the escape and so, so, what do you do? A lot of employers don't see domestic violence as their problem until until it clocks in. Mm, mm. And you're clocked in at work more than you're clocked out,
0: yeah, you know exactly. And so, there's training that uh, we get um as leaders to help spot those signs of people who are potentially going through that in their private life because it does impact your work. You know you come to work and mm-hmm. your, your head is somewhere else. Um, and you know, your performance may suffer, um, but it's not anything that's your fault. It's stuff that's going on outside of work. But as a leader, if you can identify that and support people and make a safe space for them to get the help they need, I mean, that, that means the world.
1: Oh yeah. And, and when those same individuals are going to work and they're sharing that story with other people, Mm. you know, that's pulling the productivity goes down in the Mm. whole department. Yeah, you know, the stress level goes up everywhere and people that are receiving the news and the information and they're taking all this in, they get worried and they don't know what to do or where to go or how to report it, you know? And it's, and it, to me, it's, it's almost really unfair because now basically you're jeopardizing everybody's safety. And if, if we can just shed off the, the, The status of being ashamed or embarrassed or feeling, you know, just, I don't know, anything outside of normal, you know, when it comes to that. If you take your restraining order to the job, if you show them that you are in danger, more than likely they will help opposed to retaliate. Mm. And, you know, it's really unfortunate that, you know, we as women choose to deal with things ourselves and try to just put on our best face and our best foot forward, mm. hoping that things will change. And I'm here to say that if we're not the ones that make the change, hope is not going to get us anywhere. We have to take the initiative. You have to be the change that you want to see Amen. It's not about talking and hoping it's about walking and doing.
0: I'm not wearing my Be the Change shirt today. I normally am, but, I, and it just so happens that I'm wearing my, my Red socks one, and you're originally from Chicago, so I must have known something. So, but normally I'm wearing a Be the Change shirt, which is the whole motto yeah. behind Ethical Change Agency. So, how incredible is that? Like, and Agape, you know, you've taken a very traumatic situation and you spun it around to help others, um, which is really the change we want to see. Um, it's It can be hard for other people to do that. If there's a woman listening right now who is experiencing anything similar to what you've described, what's the first thing you recommend they do?
1: Do not neglect your mindset. Number one, you know who you're not. If you're confused about who you are or why things are happening to you the way that they are, that's Okay that's normal. It just means that you need to figure some things out. And it's easier sometimes to figure out what you're not opposed to what you are, because you know to the core what your non-negotiables are, what is absolutely not okay or safe for you. And when when you get to that realization, figure out who your resources are. Who loves you? Who supports you? Who has unconditional acceptance towards you? Who are your true friends? Who's your family? Do not worry about being judged. The statistics are one out of three. The moment you open your mouth, the moment somebody hears what you're saying is the same moment you're gonna get the the courage, the support, the the, um, energy, the clarity that you're not by yourself. That this is actually something that has been going on for, for centuries. And that you're not alone and you don't have to go through it alone. There's a community that wants to help and empower because for those that got through it and are out of it, that became a chapter in their life, not their book. It's not their identity. And even though you may feel like it is at the moment, it really, truly is not. Look back at another time in your life when you were struggling and ask yourself, are you in the same place? Because you know, good and darn well, you're not. That was also a chapter.
0: Mm. Incredible. Um, And I can see you getting fired up. So (laughs) Um, now Agapa, if people want to find out more about what you do and perhaps get in touch, how can they do that?
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I have two things going on. I have be your incredible self all mm-hmm. spelled correctly. And, um, that's the website, be your same thing for Facebook and Instagram. Um, and I have a be your incredible self formula as well. That mm-hmm. is taking situational awareness and combining that with emotional intelligence in order to control your response to triggers. Mm-hmm. When we go through trauma, we have triggers and the moment that you feel that trigger happening within your physiological body, you have the power at that moment to react or respond. When you react nine times out of 10, it's destructive. Mm. When you respond, it's because it was a little more thought out and you had intentions behind it. So I have different programs that I offer, uh, different different um different programs that I offer and that's primarily for people who have already left their abusive relationship and they're now dealing with self-doubt, self-trust and some, you know, identity issues. Um and it's normal, those are things that just wrap around us like a blanket after we go through such an experience. And I I really truly help them by, not bypass, but I really, truly help them get through those doubts, seek that clarity, understand what the purpose is, be confident and define those boundaries, learn your non-negotiables and do not let anybody cross them because then you're responsible. And so post-traumatic growth is a real thing. It takes, it takes dedication and commitment. I can, like anything, you can get all the tools, but you're not going to hang a picture if you don't use the hammer and the nail correctly. Mm. So <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I do. But um, for the nonprofit is called Confronting Domestic Violence. And I actually help provide relocation services for real-time victims that need to relocate for safety. And this is so they don't have to leave all their belongings behind to start fresh, I've lived out the car with both of my kids. I know what that's like. Mm. And I don't think that every, I don't think that people should have to go through that, especially when all you're trying to do is the right thing for the right reasons. Everybody deserves a chance to be safe.
0: Mm, I absolutely love what you've done by taking your pain and making it purpose. It's just, uh, just incredible. But, you know, one thing that's been lingering in the back of my mind as you've been talking, how are your kids now?
1: Oh my gosh, okay, that's touchy. So, hmm, my kids are in their 20s, and I will tell you that my daughter, thankfully, she does not remember much of that time. So, Mm -hmm. I did a good job in keeping her separate from that, which I am so thankful for. But when she was in her 20s, getting ready to move out, she said, Mom, I respect everything that you've done. I love that you've been here for me, that you never checked out, that you've been helicopter mom at times. That drove me insane. She said, but you never you never gave up on me. You never like flat left me. You always supported me. You've always been, you know, down my throat and <laughs> all that. She said, but you were never emotionally available. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> what are you saying to me? Are you out of your mind? Do you know that my laser focus has been about protecting and providing this entire time? I've been mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, like everything. Because I never went back home. Mm. I, I, I stayed away. This was for privacy and protection. And as personal as I took that, because I'm the one that has sacrificed and made the decisions to do what I chose, you know, what I felt was Right. I had to, I had to validate her feelings. They're, they're real. Mm. You know, I, as much as I thought I was protecting her and providing for her, apparently there was a gap. Apparently there was some things that I missed and I can recall telling her growing up, you know, your heart's not going to take you anywhere. Your heart is going to, if you make decisions off your heart, you're going to figure out, things that you probably are going to regret because you, it doesn't think logical. It doesn't have a thought process. There's nothing to that. You just feel a certain way and you're woohoo and you go. I said, but your mind is going to take you somewhere. Your mind is going to be more analytical. Your mind is going to talk to you about different potential outcomes. It's not just one way. There could be different angles and don't cry. Don't show anybody your weakness. Like that's how I raised her. Mm. And, you know, she just, boo-hooed about, about all of that. And, and I knew that I needed to then adjust myself because as much as I thought I was doing the right thing, the right way for the right reasons, apparently I skipped how I was emotionally feeding my children. Mm. So then is, this is where I actually sought outside help, you know, for most of my life, I dealt with things myself Mm because, you know, time, money, all of those things were just not available. So I had to be my own advocate. And so during this time, I'm like, okay, I need to figure out what the heck is emotional awareness. What the heck is emotional intelligence? How do I figure out emotions? You know, my mom left, my dad was checked out. I didn't Mm. have any siblings, cousins, nothing. So yeah, you know what? I pretty much figured out how to live without emotions as well. So I didn't think as much as I love my kids and as much as I do for my kids and as much as I didn't repeat any patterns that my parents did, I still fell short and, you know, it definitely was not purposeful. And um, when I started making these attempts to be more loving, you know, um, attentive, emotional, you know come on baby let's let's read the five love languages together take the quiz let's see where you score let's let's kind of you know figure out this dance and she thought I was being sarcastic (laughs) she thought that I was being you know a prankster she thought that it was you know some like uh, I don't whatever I said Listen, (laughs) yeah I said listen I'm really being vulnerable right now because I really want to fix this and I want you to have what you deserve with your mom because I know what it's like to not have that. Mm. And I never thought that that's what I was doing. But I'm taking everything that you're saying to heart and I really want to do the right thing. So either you're going to accept that this is real and it's not sarcastic and it's not playful that this is real or you're going to you're gonna push me away and you're not going to mm. get it. So mm. what do you want? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh And it's been about seven years now and we're solid, which we talk, you know, all the time. She's all the way across the other side of, Mm. you know, the United States from where I'm at. And, you know, we're we're tight. She Mm. she has so much more of an understanding, you know, it's kind of like anytime you leave home and you're on your own and you're flying around by yourself, you're like, oh, (laughs) that's what that means. That's Mm. why, you know, my mom said or did or thought this, you know, so she saw that not only did I, you know, live off of survival and desperation to, you know, make things happen. Then she saw that I actually, you know, I do have a heart. I do have a core. It's beyond this. We got to do this and we got to do that and look at the time and, you know, and, and that just goes to show that, you know, when you want something and it's a value to you, you commit yourself because you know, the purpose behind it, you have the clarity and the reason as to why you're doing it. And, you know, that in itself is a love language. And I strongly say to all listeners, you know, start with yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You have to love yourself. Mm. You have to trust yourself, you know, because if it doesn't start with yourself, you can't give it or expect it outwardly.
0: Absolutely. I'm so glad that your kids are doing well, and it just—it sounds like an absolute fairy tale come true. Like, I'm so happy for you, and and that you've come this far. But I've got the last big question for you, Agape. What's the change you'd like to see in the world, and how can we bring it to life?
1: Ooh, what's the change I would like to see in the world, and how to bring it to life? The big change I would like to see in the world is equality for all regardless of gender, race, religion, ethnicity, and all that. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to bring that to life, everybody needs to be on the same accord. So if we stop raising our children to have these belief systems Mm -hmm. or this hatred or this biased opinions and allow them to see the world for what it is and and, and have the experiences that they want to have, you can give... You can, you can provide stories, you can provide life lessons, you can show how to think and how to have positive um, problem-solving skills. That does not mean that, they, that your children have to be taught your belief system, your ways. It, they are a different person. They are experiencing a different world. We are living in such unknown times right now. The most important thing is to make sure that their mental health is in order otherwise they will be misaligned emotionally spiritually and physically you can move a thousand times no matter what you live in your head
0: Mm, mm. oh I could not agree more and that that what you've just said has rung true for me this week so much in so many conversations that I've had so I completely agree with you um agape i have loved every single minute with you thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution
1: thank you for having me
0: thanks for listening to the ethical evolution podcast if you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact visit ethicalchangeagency.com Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the WannaBet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. Electric Acid Electric, acid. Electric acid.